Hey listeners, thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Hacking History. I'm Mike. I'm Todd. And we're just a couple old history teachers that love to talk history. Well, today we are winding, winding up, winding, winding, something like that, uh, winding up, winding up the Progressive Era. Uh, so this is our third episode. And uh, Todd, would you give us just a brief description of the Progressive Era? Sure. So we're talking about an era that is leading right up to World War I. Uh, it's an era that's coming off the heels of the Gilded Age, Gilded Age being industrialization, supreme growth. Uh, we're talking about a time period of about 1870 to 1920, roughly. I know that kind of pushes past World War I. But these eras aren't like they're perfectly defined, like it ends on this day and begins on another day. But what is it? It's about progress. It's about change. It's about seeing things that are occurring in the Gilded Age that we have issues with and trying to correct them as we move forward. Yeah, thank you, Todd. Um, before we get into the Progressive Era, uh, we got Christmas right around the corner. It's December the 8th, 2019 today. And uh, listeners, Todd and I are up at our, at, uh, our classrooms up at the high school where we teach doing this podcast, and uh, we were talking just a little bit ago about uh, had we got our wives anything for Christmas yet, so Todd, where are you in that department? Uh, still searching, still searching. I was working with my eldest daughter this week. We had a great idea, and then uh, we thought before we pulled the trigger, we had kind of clue in my wife, and, uh, and then she, my wife shot it down, so... I'm back to square one. Well, that was a smart move that you made, you know, to get a little feel for how she was going to gonna react to that deal. Yeah, but I'm almost kind of wondering should have pulled the trigger and let her live with the gift. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> at this rate, that caused me a lot less pain in the long term, maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure. Well, I went the safe route. I asked her what she wanted for Christmas, and she told me specifically. And then I asked her, would you find it on Amazon or on the Internet for me? And she did. And I asked her, would you please order that for me? And it came to her front doorstep the other day. So I get stuck with the hard part, and that's wrapping the box. But, of course, she knows exactly what's in the box. So well, at least at least she's in on it. My, I've asked mine several times, and I'm not getting clear answers. Or I'm getting answers that I don't know that my pocketbook can handle. But, but uh, no, I haven't been as easy uh, at this as it sounds like you got it. Yeah, well, I just, I just got lucky. Of course, I'm, I, I, she's listening, so uh, I'm just lucky all the way around with my wife. That's for sure. Get those points in while you can. Yeah, yeah. Well, Todd, what do you think about uh, the Pure Food and Drug Act during the Progressive Era? Okay, wrapping up these last episode today, we're talking about Pure Food and Drug Act, uh, some of the reforms around that, and uh, I think Mike's going to take care of the social gospel movement. Uh, the Pure Food and Drug Act, again, is talking about the recovery of uh, coming out of the Gilded Age. It's one of the issues up in Sinclair's The Jungle. Uh, the way things were treated as far as food processing was not good, it was not regulated. Uh, things written on labels could lie, they wouldn't have to be accurate with what was in them or what, what, they, what they could do. Uh, so we get the Pure Food Drug Act of 1906. It was the first in a series of significant protection laws, uh, consumer protection laws that the Congress passed. This was an effort to start uh, fixing that, and the principal 
principality of this is that we're wanting truth in labeling. So if it's in the jar, it needs to be labeled on the outside of the jar what it is. And this was the first step in doing that. Uh, we'll also get the Federal Meat Inspection Act of 1906 as well. Uh, as American law makes it a crime to misbrand meat or be, sell it as food if it's uh, been changed or altered. It's not consistent with what it's supposed to be and it's not in, made in sanitary conditions. So that is a huge response to Upton Sinclair's The Jungle right there. The uh, Food and Drug Administration of itself, uh, there's elements of it going back to 1848. Uh, the responsibility would later get inherited by the Department of Agriculture in 1862, but its current name we know today wouldn't come around until 1930. But the teeth behind it is in uh, 1906 with the Meat Inspection Act and the Pure Food and Drug Act. So, Todd, so it, it goes all the way back to 1848. I had no idea it went back that far. Yes, yeah, so back then they were looking more at uh, chemical analysis to monitor, monitor safety of agricultural products. Um, this would eventually fold into the Department of Agriculture later. But there were elements of this in our government going back that far. Uh, but, of course, you know, as you remember, with the Gilded Age, our government was pretty laissez-faire. So... Mm -hmm mainly staying out of business uh, and the productivity of business. So, the, the size of the federal government at that time was just not very big compared to what it is today. I mean, we, we have a lot of different agencies and departments there in the bureaucracy that just didn't exist in that time. No, no, and we'll see, you know, we'll see some growth in the progressive era, and, and as you know, we'll definitely see it during the New Deal and efforts to get us out of the Depression. Uh, and then we'll see it again with the Great Society in the 60s, efforts to uh, you know, squash or minimize poverty in this country. But the government we recognize today is significantly different as opposed to the government of this time. And some of these reforms were meant to try to help society or help those in need or, or give us a, better, a little better safety and understanding of what we're eating and what's being packaged and, and delivered to us. Now, other reforms that would come later would involve prohibition, uh, which we'll talk about in later episodes, suffrage as well. But uh, when it comes to the food we eat, what's in it, the content and stuff and how it's labeled, we can think to this period, the progressive period, and specifically the Pure Food and Drug Act, as well as the Meat Inspection Act of 1906. I asked my students not long ago when we were covering this in class, I said, how many of you think about... Uh, food when you go to the grocery store you know is it safe can I eat it is it gonna hurt me is it gonna make me sick and you know that's just something that we take for granted I think by far the majority of the time and uh, and, and same goes for a pharmacy or over-the-counter meds that we we have this sense of trust that that that's it's gonna be okay for us and you and I are old enough to remember the Tylenol scare and how that mm -hmm. changed yeah, uh, packaging and making them tamper-proof. You know, it's been a continued evolution. I've had some of the same discussions with my students, and and they don't realize in the back of these packaging that the uh, contents are labeled in the order of what's in it. You mm -hmm. know, so the highest quantity of whatever is in it is what you see first. So when it says 100% orange juice, and on the back it says filtered water, 
that's the main content in it is filtered water mm, mm, right and they don't realize that but that is that is something to be aware of and when you pick up something and look at the label and we can thank that you know to the regulatory requirements that you know all of them are expected to meet mm-hmm yeah I know in previous podcasts we've talked about Upton Upton Sinclair's book the jungle and uh, the horrific things that went on in the meatpacking industry in Chicago and and I know Teddy Roosevelt had a lot to do with with passage of this act um, being well to many kind of a progressive type president uh, for sure and and um, so well when you talk about progressive efforts I don't know that he can't be in that conversation whether it was conservation and efforts to protect federal lands and set them aside or Pure Food and Drug Act, uh, his reaction to Upton Sinclair's jungle was pretty much like everybody else's. He was looking in a uh, square deal, basically. That was his term, a square deal for everybody. Yeah. You know, maybe one of these times we could do a podcast just on Teddy Roosevelt. Yes. I, I think it would be kind of interesting. You know, if you see a guy who's got a picture of him in a lake on a moose, <laughs> you know he's an interesting guy. You know? Yeah. Oh, my. Well, anything else about? No, I think that pretty much wraps up the uh, the skinny and the small of it for this. Uh, without going in too deep, what have you got on the gospel movement? Well, the social gospel movement uh, was an era, of course, during the progressive era, 1870 to about 1920. And um, you know, I, in teaching this in class, I, I kind of hit on it a little bit, but I sort of had to dig a little deeper on on this topic than what I usually do. Uh, and found out some some interesting things I think are pretty cool. Um, it was a Christian-based social reform movement uh, prominent in the United States. And uh, some of these leaders that I'm going to mention here uh, in just a minute took Jesus' message, Love Thy Neighbor, into pulpits, published books, and lectured across the country. And uh, a lot of them um, uh, would would develop into things like uh, creating the, the first settlement houses that were, of course, designed to alleviate sufferings of immigrants in big cities like Boston, New York, and Chicago. And their overall mission was to draw attention to the problems of poverty and inequality during this time period, um, especially in the growing cities and especially as a result from the industrialization of the Gilded Age. So... Um, one of the first people that I'd like to talk about was a Protestant minister by the name of Washington Gladden. He authored more than 40 books. He was a key person in exposing the wrongdoings of Tammany's, Tammany Hall's ring of New York City that uh, we had mentioned uh, in previous pod podcast. And some would consider him to be the first American clergyman of note to approve unionization during the time period. In 1904, he was elected moderator of the National Council of Congregational Churches and soon afterward made the startling proposal that the denomination's foreign mission board should reject $100,000 that was given by John D. Rockefeller. Hmm. Uh, we talked a little bit about Rockefeller in previous podcasts and how he was uh, the, the head guy of Standard Oil and a monopoly on on the um, America's uh, oil market and and um, anyway 
um, Gladden said, don't take it, it's tainted money. So he had a very strong resistance to these laissez-faire capitalistic types of, of uh, practices that were going on during the Gilded Age. The uh, second person was Lyman Abbott, and he would be the author of his Christianity and Social Problems of 1897 and the Rights of Man, 1901, the Spirit of Democracy in 1910, and America in the Making of 1911. Uh, he will be a um, will, will deliver a moderate sociological view um, in uh, of what was going on here. But the interesting thing about Abbott is that uh, he did not support. Um, the capitalistic wrongdoings of that time period before there were a lot of laws that were put in place to prevent a lot of that thing from happening but he rejected socialism um, and of course he rejected the laissez-faire style of capitalism so he um, um, he was somewhere there in between um, the third person was Charles Sheldon author of the most successful series in his steps and in his steps, um, he uh, wrote about how the townspeople of, of small America, um, Texas towns, um, should try to live a year as Jesus would live. And this book sold over 8 million copies um, and would only be second to the Bible during that time. So he had a lot of readers, very popular. The, the next one, the last one I want to talk about is Walter Rauschenbusch, I think is how you say his last name. That, that is one long last name. I'm glad that's not my last name. Oh. I'm grateful to have four letters in my last name. That one <laughs> would give me writer's cramp. I think there's about 20 there, maybe. I'm not going to count them, but I think there is a lot for sure. Um, he is also a minister. Um, he would um, talk about Hell's Kitchen, which is a section of New York City during the, uh, the Progressive Era. His book was Christianity and the Social Crisis, and he asserted that religion's chief purpose was to create the highest quality of life for all citizens. His writings, his writings had a major impact on the development of the religious left in the 20th century, and after World War I, uh, there were several religious leaders that would expound upon his ideas and address economic issues, racism, and military. And kind of a fun fact for the day, um, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, got a lot of his ideas um, with nonviolence, um, uh, protesting, and so forth from Rauschenbusch. So he, he, was a, um, he was a big fan of MLK. All in all, the effects of the social gospel movement um, were, of course, the, the settlement houses, which I had mentioned earlier. There were a lot of labor reforms, including the abolition of child labor. They fought very hard and were, were successful um, in establishing legislation for a shorter work week a living wage and factory regulation and so these key prominent um, 
Christian social reform leaders were successful in, in a lot of their endeavors. And, uh, and of course, during the 1930s, many of these ideals were realized through the rise of organized labor and the legislation of the New Deal by um, President Franklin D. Roosevelt. So, so probably big picture for this area is looking at religious groups that see societal ills, problems in society, whether it's you know treatment of workers or child labor or alcohol, uh, and, and trying to address it and, and move some progress uh, within these more charitable organizations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had heard of Gladden, Washington Gladden, before. He is in our textbooks. But um, Lyman Abbott, Charles Sheldon, Rauschenbusch, um, and there were many others that were uh, ministers and uh, just um, religious leaders in America during this era that, that uh, were successful in, in getting legislation passed to, to help make a lot of these reforms. Yeah, I knew I knew MLK was uh, you know inspired by Gandhi, but I didn't know he was inspired by Rauschenbusch too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and nonviolent protest, so um, was effective for sure. Well, that kind of wraps up the progressive era for us, and wraps up another season for us. Uh, as we trickle down this uh, path of American history and period by period. The next season we will be kicking off will be about uh, world power and imperialism as we discuss some of the things that's also occurring kind of during this progressive period. We're getting a little imperialistic, just like the rest of the world is, meaning we're going out and taking some land and taking advantage of it and the people that are on it. Uh, then this is going to culminate into a world war, and this will bring us into our next series. Anything to add there, Mike? I can't think of anything um, right off the bat about the topic, but I do want to thank all the listeners for, for um, listening, and if you know of any high school or college students or just anybody that enjoys uh, listening about history, well, we would love it if you would share our podcast name yes thank you for tuning in